Thank you for downloading the PR Week, PR Week's weekly podcast. For more podcasts as well as breaking news, visit PRWeek.com. Hello and welcome to the PR Week, PR Week's regular weekly roundup of everything that matters in the worlds of PR and communications. My name is Steve Barrett. I'm the editorial director of PR Week and I guide you gently through another show. And uh, we've got a terrific guest this week. We've got Wendy Lund, who's the Chief Communications Officer at Organon. And uh, it's great to have you on the show, Wendy. Enjoying clients, client life after a long spell at agency land. I am, Steve. It's definitely been an adjustment. I've loved it. Uh, 25 years on the agency side. So definitely brought a lot of different ways of working over to the client side. But it's all been embraced. And I love the people. And I love waking up every day and focusing on the health of women. Yeah, and looking forward to finding out more about Organon and and the job. And we've got Frank Washgut here, co-host as usual. Thanks for stepping in last week. Frank, while I was out on vacay, good to see you. How are you doing? Good. Uh, yeah, no, happy to. Great guest last week. Good conversation. Yeah, about climate change, which we're going to discuss today as well, because that's um, a big topic generally. But we've got COP26 coming up in Glasgow. So we'll talk to Wendy. We'll talk about uh, Webbers like Jack Leslie is retiring after 35 years. Great career. Facebook still in the news, even more than ever, actually, this week. Publicist, now, now the world's most valuable agency group. Apparently, Havas has moved more of its PR under its Red Havas unit. Get vax or get out. That's what employers are saying. Uh, we'll dig into that a bit. And like I said, we'll talk about COP26. But Wendy, tell us about Organon. You joined, I think, was it January? And um, it, it was a company that spun out of Merck and it went uh, live in June. So tell, give us the skinny on Organon. Yeah, I'm happy to. So, um Yes, as you said, I joined early January and we actually spun out on June 3rd from Merck. Uh, we, you know, we launched as a company that's focused on women and their health um, to create a better and healthier every day for every woman. And I can tell you a little bit about the background of sort of, you know, how we focused on our launch, if you want me to. But- yeah, I mean, it's an interesting concept that it's kind of the premise being that I assume that you you tell me that maybe women's health wasn't being treated uh, in the right way before, you know, and that the, there was a gap here to really address the needs of women from a women's point of view. Is that is that fair to say? And maybe yeah, it definitely is. I mean, you know, I've worked in, I've worked in the women's health space for many many years before I joined agency. I was you know head of marketing at Planned Parenthood and. And then I was at other organizations as well. So this has been near and dear to my heart pretty much since I like graduated college. And um, yeah, women have been underinvested in, overlooked. And, you know, we're 51% of the population and this goes worldwide. So there's so many different unmet needs. And what has been so incredibly compelling to me is that there are these sort of what we call outrageous facts about women and, you know, unintended pregnancy, unplanned pregnancy and fertility and postpartum hemorrhage and the list goes on and on, endometriosis. And the issues that surround these unmet needs have been around for, you know, 20, 25 years. They haven't really shifted that much. So we're hoping that, you know, through the work that we're doing, uh, through our, you know, different various treatments, through the efforts the organization has, that we're going to really change things and start to reduce these unmet needs over the next 5, 10, 15, even six months to a year. So really looking forward to that. And, th- and the way we approached it, you know, I think was very timely because 
you know, to start a job in the middle of COVID-19 after you'd been, you know, very happy and very comfortable at a job after 10 years. Yeah, uh, you were definitely... CEO of, just for those who don't know, you were CEO at GCI Health, which was part of BCW and WPP. So, yeah. Yeah. And it was wonderful, wonderful experience with so many great colleagues and leaders there. And so, you know, to join um, something, you know, like this in the middle of COVID, where we're not only joining as new team members, but also like launching the company, we really had to be inventive. And so one of the things we did first was we just took a step back and said, let's just listen, let's just interview stakeholders. We And, you know, this work was in progress when I got there. And basically one of the things we heard loud and clear from women was that they were just simply exhausted. And we knew this, you know, I had talked before with you guys about healthy her. So we knew this before um, COVID that women were very, very tired, you know, definitely feeling the mental strains of all the things they had taken on, but COVID completely exacerbated this. And so we said, okay, you know what, what women are saying is I'm doing a lot of talking here, but nobody's hearing me. And we said, you know what, let's take a step back. Let's create a symbol, which we did a, a microphone that could be used around the world globally. We have 140 markets. So we're, we're one of the more established startups because, you know, we're six and a half billion dollars, 10,000 team members, um, 140 markets. So, you know, definitely not like your typical startup. And we said, let's use this microphone and let's give women a voice. And that's literally what we did on our day of spin, which we called her day. Um, we created this effort outside the New York Stock Exchange. It was just incredible. It was very inspirational. We used it to create just a huge, what we called a thunderclap through our entire company all around the world. And Steve, if you don't shut me down right now, I'm going to go on and on and on. So I'm going to shut myself down because this is something I can talk about. For no, the next I mean, it's, uh, look, we've talked about these issues as well. You know, we, we know that women have borne the brunt of the, the pandemic period and, and we've seen so many women leave the workplace. We know that they've had to juggle uh, home responsibilities, you know, household management, um, homeschooling. They've borne the brunt of all this. So, um, no, we totally get it. And tell us a bit about, obviously, you, like you said, you're a startup with a, with a head start almost because you've got Murph behind you. You had these existing revenues and products. What was the thinking behind spinning it as a separate company rather than just doing it within Merck? And uh, and 80% of the revenue comes from outside the U.S. So um, talk a bit about that as well. Yeah, happy to. So, you know, this all happened way before I got there in terms of Merck's decisions on why it made sense. But, you know, what, what I've kind of heard from our CEO and from others is that one of the things they were looking at when they were looking to create a spun off company was where is that true opportunity? Where is that unmet need? And I think two things came together. One was the fact that there were all these um, needs that women had. The second were there were all these brands that could definitely use more attention. You know, Merck had so many brands. And so all of these wonderful brands were conveyed over. And the third piece, which kind of tied the whole thing together, was that Organon was a company that, you know, Merck had acquired via Shearing Plow years before. And Organon was very, very well known for being a women's health company. So it just all kind of came together. And it's just been the response from the external world has been tremendous. Internally, people are incredibly passionate. They're very inspired. It's just been just a wonderful way to launch a company. Do I wish we could have done it all in person? Absolutely. But I have to say, just very, very proud of what we've been able to achieve um, in the middle of this pandemic. 
And then you ask about our products. And yes, so um, much of our revenue does come from outside the U.S. We have a large um, international network. Many of those products fall into areas like established brands, uh, which you know include a variety of different types of disease sorts. We also talk about those as they relate to women as well. Then we also have um, opportunity and lots of work we're doing in the biosimilar space. And then there's women, our women's health franchise, which is growing, as you probably saw from two uh, big agreements. One was an acquisition right after our spin of Olivia Health. And the second was a large um, global agreement with a company that specializes in preterm labor. So tell us a bit about your team. Is it it's very global, presumably? And how have you been managing that? Is it a mainly a women, women, uh, women in the comms team? And how do you structure that? And did you, well, put whole- that to, did you come in to put that together? Or were you kind of taking over much of an existing team? Well, Kind of both. So, you know, the whole setup, Merck did an amazing, amazing job kind of setting up what the company would look like. And so they pretty much, you know, when I came in, they said, this is your team structure and here's your team. Um, Everyone on our team comes from sort of a quasi communications, marketing, digital background. So we all see the world through many different colors, which is really nice to have all these creative people together. Um, Many of the people on our team were actually my clients because Mark was a large client for us. So that was fun to just kind of come over and say, hey, uh, now we're working together. And, you know, I love the people I had worked with as clients. So it was very natural to work with them as, you know, collaborative team members. So we do what I think has been most interesting um, from a team perspective is we not only have our core team that works across global, and we do have a number of people that sit outside the U.S., we also have our communicators that sit in every market and we are really trying to network together as sort of one team. So we're trying to make the mousetrap bigger than what the mousetrap might be. Uh, but everyone is so in sync in terms of the way we work. It's been great. It's all about global informing, I mean, local informing global, and then global really delivering on what the needs are at the local level. Yeah. Are you still using GCI then as, on, as an agency as part of your uh, support? We have a number of agencies, and yes, GCI is still part of the mix. So you're able to stay in touch with your old friends. Oh yeah, the, yeah. Uh, back at uh, uh, of course. So that's uh, that's good. Where's it going next? So what are, you've you've had a you know a, a whirlwind year, no doubt. Um, you've launched now. You've got the the building blocks in place. What can we expect over the next sort of uh, six to nine months? So I think a couple of things. Um, First of all, you know, this whole idea around listening, we're not going to walk away from that. That is a sustainable, very, very important part of the way we're building our company. And, you know, we've been focusing on how to unmute her, how to help women really speak up about, especially these taboo topics that they don't want to talk about. Last week, a good example was menopause. In September, a good example was unplanned pregnancies. So, you know, for us, yes, of course, working from a communications perspective on our brands, but also sharing that larger focus on women, their unmet needs, how can we best support her? How can we really give her a voice and continuing to build that? And then the second being on, which ties to that on, you know, where we build partnerships around the world and how we support our local markets in doing that. The list goes on because as we as we build, we're also looking at our ESG approach and how we're going to be rolling that out and, you know, continuing to really focus, you know, around the world on all the different needs that exist. Yeah, well, it's definitely a need for it. So, uh, yeah, it sounds like a very exciting opportunity. You mentioned that you 
uh, early in your career, you were at Planned Parenthood as a VP of marketing. So do you feel that almost like you've come full circle, coming back to a, a client side role supporting women? Um, and what's the biggest change you know you've seen from going back to the client side after being in agency land for so long? So, yeah, I mean, I feel like my whole career has really led me here. Um, you know, my master's degree was in women's history, my undergrad women's studies, when it was sort of like the wild, wild west in women's studies. So, you know, this has been something and people at GCI would tell you that, you know, whenever a women's health thing or anything related to women came in, I was like all over it. It didn't matter what my role was at the agency. So definitely feel that the whole my whole kind of career has definitely brought me to this place, um, you know, in terms of change. So, yeah, like we have so much more we can work with from an educational and a learning perspective and getting out to and reaching people and creating much more reach uh, because we have such a strong digital focus as a communications, you know, as communicators. But, you know, honestly, there's still so much work to do. Like, as I said in the very beginning, there are so many facts of, of you know, just these things that just blow me away every day that I hear you know, in terms of the unplanned pregnancy rate and, you know, how hard it is to get access to certain fertility uh, drugs. And you know, the list goes on, the rate of postpartum hemorrhage in this country, especially in the U.S. and around the world. So the work is cut out for us and we will just continue to work away at this and work with others to achieve these goals. Yeah, for sure. And it's something we're definitely concentrating on more at PR Week. We've launched our Healthcare Daily newsletter we've got a big health issue next week including our health influencer 30 so uh, top 30 influencers in the healthcare pr space so we're definitely diving deep into it because it's become such a such a big part of almost every story now has some sort of health angle to it doesn't it no matter what it is whether it's a consumer story or you know corporate reputation every employee engagement you've, you've got to be thinking through a health lens so it's just become extremely mainstream just that you know consumers today have are so much more informed and are so much more engaged in their health and you know that ties back to the fact that they understand and they seek information on brands you know i'm sure you've seen some of the funny videos on you know uh, the vaccines and how people like even my mother, right? 80 years old. I got a Moderna. What'd you get? I'm like, mom, like I can't even take it seriously. Right. But yeah. you know, when, when you think about, we were just talking about this morning, when you get your flu shot, did you ask, you know, what yeah. was the manufacturer? So this is definitely a sign for the future. And, and I love that you launched the newsletter and I look forward to, you know, continuing to hopefully work with you and to insert where, where uh, you need some uh, appropriate help. But, you know, kudos for doing that, because I do agree that health, you know, is, is really at the center of our lives. Yeah, for sure. And we'll talk a bit about, more about that with uh, in the news stories. But uh, for now, thanks, Wendy, and look forward to chatting more uh, and, and plotting how Organon does. Um, very exciting uh, new launch. Uh, Frank, Weber Shanwicks, uh, Jack Leslie, um, long-standing senior executive at that firm, one of the seminal figures in its development. He's going to retire next year. Tell us all about it. That's right. Uh, after more than 20 years uh, as chairman of Weber Shanwick, and he has been in the role since uh, Weber Shanwick merged with Bozell Sawyer Miller Group back in 2001. Uh, he's going to stay on as a senior advisor for a bit, uh, doing some counseling for the agency, talking to clients about corporate reputation, social impact, and public policy. Um, has a history in politics before joining the agency world, did some consulting uh, in Latin America, Asia, and Africa. 
uh, was a close advisor to the former president of Colombia and was a political director for the late Senator Ted Kennedy in the 1980s. Yeah, he's a great guy, Jack. And, um, you know, a longstanding executive at Weber Shandwick, one of the founding sort of uh, trio, if you like, with Harris Diamond and Andy mm. Zelensky. And that's part of the story, isn't it? It's, uh, you know, Harris Diamond retired last year and retired from McCann, and uh, mm-hmm. Andy Polanski's moved to that group role into public at Dextral. He's still still involved with Weber. So a bit of a changing of the guard, Frank, at, at Weber. It and, is, yeah. Moment. Yeah, it is. And, I, you know, it's interesting because I think that trio was was identified with that agency for just, just such a long time. Uh, so, um, yeah, it, it'll be weird not to see uh, any of their faces directly associated with it. But, but yeah, J- Jack is one of those guys that you would think if you had a contest over who had like the, the most connected or most interesting Rolodex in the industry, he would be up there, wouldn't he? Yeah, I, I was. Uh, I remember him at Cannes um, when uh, the Colombian president did a session there, and he came. You know, he came in with him and all the security people around him. It was like a global superstar coming into the building, and there was Jack stood next to him. So, uh, yeah, he's got lots of interesting stories, and um, it'd be good to. We're having him on the podcast next week, so it'd be great to chat to him. Yeah, looking forward to it. Yeah, when did you see this? I don't know if you knew, Jack, but did you see there is a, cha- a bit of a changing over the guard at the senior levels of agency, you know, as the new generation of leaders and many of them women, you know, Gail Hyman took over at Weber, are sort of coming into the industry? Well, I love the idea of the new generation of people. And if it's women, that's great coming into being. I think for a lot of people right now, though, you know, people have kind of put their heads on and said, hey, what do I want to do with myself right now? And I I kind of feel like there's a lot of people have fallen under this umbrella of like even the things you described that he's going to focus on, social impact, policy. I mean, these are all things that lead towards, you know, purpose, right? And purpose is so important to so many people. So it seems like there's a trend in that direction for so many people to move, whether it's just advising or whether it's going into a new job or whether it's doing something completely different. Yeah, it's not just young people making those decisions. That's a good point for sure. But uh, we wish Jack well and we look forward to chatting to him next week. Um, Facebook, Frank, it's in the news again. They had their financials this week. Still uh, more revelations in the media from from some you know leaked documents. And they took, I don't know if they've talked about their metaverse plans yet and what they're going to call it, but it's uh, there's no respite for the, you know, the, the PR teams over at Facebook for sure. Well, we may hear more about that on Thursday morning when they have their uh, annual developer event about the metaverse and and, uh, their plans for it. Um, But I I think two things sort of happening at once here. And that one is you have this almost unprecedented uh, leak of company documents and company self-research that has been trickling out uh, through a consortium of U.S.-based news outlets. Um, and I think a lot of people are expecting this to continue to trickle out for a few more weeks. And I think it will be interesting to see how, uh, what the public response is to this, um, because it, it is, is it going to continue to cause outrage like, um, the research showing, uh, the ill effects on teenage girls, mental health did, uh, or are people just going to be sick of the Facebook news and start to turn it out at some point? So uh, that's one thing to watch. But the other part of it is their earnings for Q3 were posted this week. And you wonder how much these two things are connected, looking at the earnings, because the thing driving uh, the earnings and the market reaction to it 
are not as much the reputational issues or the, the crisis that Facebook is in, uh, but really uh, the fact that it missed on revenue um, in, in its earnings report. And a lot of that is due to Apple tightening uh, the privacy measures um, in iOS. So, um, you know, if Facebook's shares were down 5% the day after they put their earnings out, but it wasn't a, you know, a critical fall and it wasn't a huge drop in the share price due to the reputational issues. So, so these seem on its face like two different things here uh, in that you have the reputational crisis Facebook is going through and then you have the financial performance and how much they are connected and have an impact on the stock uh, price. It doesn't seem to be like a lot, right? No, it's a good point. Um, it's it's pretty luxurious position to be in when you post a $9 billion profit in, in one quarter, and that's considered uh, an underperformance. So I can think yeah, of a few sure companies uh, who'd be quite happy with that. Um, Wendy, you mentioned earlier that people are talking about health a lot more and, you know, things that they wouldn't necessarily have chatted about before. And, of course, one of the places where they talk about it and where they get their information is social media is Facebook. You know, it's got a massive reach, 2.0 billion people globally users. Mm -hmm. So it's a very powerful tool, but it also can be misused and it can also spread disinformation. So from a brand point of view and a communicator, how do you approach platforms like Facebook in terms of getting your story out there? Uh, thanks for the question. We had a very deliberate approach to how we launched the company and how we talked. Our one goal was to make sure we do it in a very secure but creative way. Um, and obviously in health, we have to be very thoughtful about comments and you know community management and all those things. So um, I feel like that what we've done has been very different. We have actually um, used Instagram very um aggressively, I guess you would say, or, or, or a lot, because we have been able to really, those stories I told you about, those voices we wanted to share, Instagram lent itself perfectly to sort of the pictures and minimal words that we could actually push out in support and listening to women. And then LinkedIn has become an enormous tool for us. Um, we've actually gotten calls from the team at LinkedIn say, what are you doing online? It's just absolutely amazing because we've literally done something that very few have done, which is given voice to every single person that works for us. If they want to speak to um, speak out on LinkedIn, as long as they follow our social policy channels uh, guidelines. So um, that's been really, really powerful for us. And it's just something that we will continue to do, but we're very, very mindful every step of the way in terms of how we're, you know, doing paid and all those things. And, and I just have to say about Facebook as one of the kind of early users of it, you know, where it is right now. I mean, it's interesting to watch the meteor climb of some of these companies, especially in the tech space and, you know, whether they really do, and you could probably answer this a lot better than I could, do they invest in those early, early days in, in communications in terms of how to really manage and build those reputations, just the way some of these companies are formed and started up, um, the players that are, you know, at play. So something to think about more as uh, tech, tech companies start up and grow, are they investing enough in that communication spaces? They're eventually going to probably have to manage reputational issues somewhere along the line. Yeah, and regulatory DC government Absolutely. affairs that you don't really think about when you're a, a, a sort of entrepreneurial yeah. startup now, for sure. And of course, Instagram is part of Facebook. I know. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's, it, it is interesting. And um, it's, it's very. But it's managed very differently in a lot of ways. So, you know, that was a very deliberate decision we made to go on yeah, to just, Instagram. 
quickly on this uh, with young women uh, how much are you targeting young women and presumably you know you're looking at different channels for them with you know maybe tiktok or um discord or whatever you know we are looking at some of the newer channels and not the newer channels but the channels that are more targeted to younger women younger men too um more to come on that next year if you want to have me back we can talk a little bit more about (laughs) that or i can share more but definitely looking at ways that we can break through and break new ground in in the digital space we want to be highly relevant we want to be authentic we want to tell a true story we want to have people we want to make sure people have a voice and so that's going to be very very important to us yeah yeah i remember charlie d'amelio last year with the distance dance there were billions of views of that and that you know really got our message over in a way that you know traditional comms maybe can't do with certain audiences especially interesting stuff the facebook chat will continue i suspect interesting story here frank about uh, holding companies and agency groups publicis is now the world's most valuable apparently according to a story by our colleague gideon spanier in uh, on campaign uk it is and we should be careful to just qualify this by saying that is it is the most valuable agency group um and that is by their stock market value. Yes, That's not yes. by overall revenue. It's not by number of agencies or headcount, or, <laughs> you know, countries with a footprint in or anything like that. Uh, but Publicis, of course, uh, the owner of Kex CNC of MSL is their biggest uh, U.S. network, has surpassed Omnicom and WPP to become the most valuable agency group in the world, crediting that to their performance since the start of the pandemic. Uh, their stock market value um, is pushed past, pushed past 16.3 billion. Omnicom's at about 15.1 billion right now. And WPP, which um, was the largest in the world by a number of other standards for a long time, uh, is at 15.4 billion. Now, um, our friends at Campaign did a, did a chart on this, and I think one thing that's interesting here is that they uh, the top four are not that far apart anymore. And I think it used to be more that there was a, a clear top three and Interpublic was kind of, you know, bringing up the rear of the top four. But they've surged pretty close to the top three. And you have a real horse race now just in terms of the value of the agency networks. Yeah, it's, uh, it is a fascinating story. And our colleagues there did a story about publicists maybe being up for sale and uh in the in the past year wendy you used to used to work at msl publicis and you've obviously spent a lot of time at wpp what's your t- now you're outside the world what's your take on the holding company agency groups and you know where they're where you think they're going you know they've they've they've, they've had to adapt to a new world where integration you know is is everything and you don't necessarily ha- need all these individual silos which was how they were how they evolved I've given this probably the most thought since I left uh, and joined in-house in terms of how I would have done things differently or how I would refocus today, having come through so much around COVID over the past couple of years. Um, clearly, the world has changed so dramatically. It's a, it's a really important time for a reset in the agency side. Um, I think the problem is, is that people are working so many hours and on you know, autopilot 24-7 or maybe 36-8 <laughs> in the agency side, it's really hard to take a step back and realign and repurpose yourself, right? So there's probably going to have to be more incremental in the change versus you know, sort of taking a huge shift. But some of the areas obviously are around talent, you know, bringing in fantastic talent, 
possibly focusing more on how to make those folks feel like they have a purpose of being there. It's really hard to do when you're thinking about working in an agency and kind of looking at hours as the major thing you're focusing on. But I think that agencies have a huge task ahead of them to help people refocus on why they're doing what they're doing and how they're helping other people and how these companies they're working with not only have a purpose that they're working with, but how the agency itself or the holding company has a purpose itself. Um, You know, clients still embrace that creativity. We need it. Uh, I love working with the agencies, just kind of being in the mix with them so we can create together. And I think co-creation is a big opportunity as well. That commitment of feeling that companies are all in with you, um, you know, I think part of it, again, goes back to this hours. You have 30% of Annie and 20% of Jim and 40% of this. And like, that's really, you know, from my side, I'd rather hear I have all of one person and all of another person. And I think that's not a new way of thinking about it. But now I really get it being on the other side. Uh, integration is key. I think publicist has definitely moved in that direction. They were moving in that direction many years ago when I was there and they were actually very good at it because of the clients that we had, um, large multinational clients that were kind of pushing us towards that. So, you know, um, we'll see what happens this year, you know, as, as, as we end the year and go into next year, as agencies and holding companies start to realign and really focus in on how to make their talent and people feel like they're there for a reason and that they're connected with their clients for a reason as well. And I think that could be a real game changer for a lot of agencies, especially very large ones where it's much harder to do. Yeah, Publicis Power of One has been their sort of position. Yes. Hasn't it? Um, <laughs> yeah, Frank, I was there. yeah, another one was uh, another French agency group, Havas, has moved more of its PR under the red Havas structure under uh, CEO James Wright. Tell us a bit more. Yes, about that. Uh, this is this is what I'm told. Uh, the term for this is a matrixed structure. Uh, one of those business terms we all we all love and love to figure we out. We do love those on the news desk, don't we? We do. We do. They're so meaningful. Um, so, uh, solutions. What is happening here in a nutshell is that um, James Wright is going to get uh, more of the PR capabilities under him, and some of that uh, is coming from Havas Health and You and Havas Creative, uh, and they're going to operate also as one part under Red Havas, um, though continuing to collaborate across the board uh, with those other firms. Um, Havas Health and You and Havas Creative are two of the three groups under Havas that also includes Havas Media. Um, And of course, Donna Murphy, who's appeared on our uh, health influencer list in the past. And FYI, we have a new one of those coming up real soon, um, is the CEO of Havas Health and You and Havas Creative Group's CEO is Chris Hurst. but the news here, uh, again, is that uh, is that James Wright is uh, going to oversee more of the PR capabilities of Havas. He's the global CEO of Red Havas and global chairman of the Havas PR Global Collective. Yeah, another Brit uh, as a CEO of a major agency group. So uh, um, still some influence there from across the water. Um, yeah, I, I have often found their structure at Havas a little less easy to understand and uh, it's still not completely clear where things like Havas Republica and Havas Formula fit in is it to so those those are the two acquisitions they made in in the uh, multicultural space yeah i would agree with you um i think it does tend to be a little complicated i guess worth seeing if vivendi weighs in on this uh yeah. in the next couple of years that's, 
that's uh, Vivendi, the big media company that owns uh, Havas. Um, yeah, get vaxxed or get out. Very uh, impactful headline, that, Frank. Uh, what, what's the story about? It wasn't my headline, but uh, happy to share some credit here with our <laughs> uh, our excellent copy desk on this one. Um, so, look, the, just the story is that and a lot of firms might not be announcing this publicly, but a lot of agencies are requiring, uh, you know, pretty stringent vaccination measures to get back to the office. Um, and and in a lot of cases, uh, that's just requiring a, a vaccine mandate across the board with, you know, some exceptions for uh, people who are immunocompromised, who are, are working through other issues or have um, a sincerely held religious exemption. And one thing we found in the reporting of this, and it's a great article by our contributor, Chris Daniels, is that the thing driving this is is not as much city mandates or mandates from the government about regulators need to, or excuse me, not regulators, the government contractors need to have uh, all of their folks vaccinated. But the driver here is agency employees feel much safer coming back to the office, knowing that there's a mandate in place where all of the colleagues that they are working with are vaccinated. And so it's see, this is another case of, you know, employees realizing how much power they have driving this and the agencies responding to this and really trying to do the right thing for their employees and make a safe space for them in the office. Yeah, it's uh, it's an ongoing story, isn't it? And it will run and run for sure. Um, uh, but um Interesting to see the different perspectives that Chris teased out in that. Um, just to finish up, let's talk about climate change because COP26 is kicking off the big uh, conference in Glasgow um, at the weekend. And uh, that's coming at the same time as the con- congressional hearings start in DC and into big oil. Um, so it's really going to be, climate is really going to be under the spotlight, Frank, isn't it? And I'm sure we'll talk about this more next week and beyond. But uh, yeah. there's a lot of communications in uh perspectives involved in that and also questions about what if any climate change or green energy um related spending gets into the budget bill that's being debated so much uh in washington right now is another big part of it too cop 26 i have to say reading the coverage about it i mean there's definitely an air of pessimism uh going into it isn't there where it um you know you have all of these heads of state getting together in glasgow um, and um, it, you see Australia makes a move to to tighten up the uh, its environmental targets to reduce greenhouse gases, um, but looking at 2050 as a target date, not instead of 2030, uh, and less ambitious than most people uh, would have liked. And, uh, you know, there are questions about, uh, you know, Chinese policy uh, as such a big contributor of greenhouse gases, uh, and and what they are going to do and how effective they are going to be cutting back. And of course, you know, we, the U.S. has, uh, you know, stepped away from the Paris Climate Accords uh, only to, uh, you know, begin to re-embrace them again uh, once we had a change in office and president. So um, I, I, just reading the coverage of it, it there's almost this, this sense of... Uh, of pessimism about how much can get done, at least from the political side. Yeah. You've been to Glasgow then? 
No, I'm just joking. It's a great I, place. I, <laughs> <laughs> There's some areas I wouldn't recommend, but uh, it is actually. It's a I place. hate to say it. It was it was in the 2020 plans, and unfortunately had to uh, had to be postponed. But but yeah. uh, at a future date, I hope to make it over it, there. You can have some fun in Glasgow for sure, uh, Wendy. You, you know, climate change obviously contributes to health, and and uh, you're a big global company. How does how does climate play into Organon's sort of? Uh, I don't know, narrative, if you like. Yeah, I'm just shaping that. Um, and, you know, we'll bring it back to our kind of vision, uh, which is, you know, really trying to create a commitment to women. And one of the things we know with environmental issues is that, you know, women are disproportionately impacted by by climate issues. Um, they're more vulnerable to resource shortages, water, like water scarcity. So when we help the environment, we're also helping women become healthier you know, economically empowered and more productive members of society. So, you know, we need a healthy planet. It's it's important for the world. It's essential for the health of women. But, you know, for, of course, for generations to come. So this is something we're really focused on. You will hear much more about it over the next coming months. But it is very top of mind, especially that disproportionate impact on the health of women. Yeah. Having just uh, experienced another apocalyptic rainfall in uh, New York and New yeah. Jersey, um, th- there are some big, uh, big problems with our climate, and we've got to, we have got to address them now for sure. Wendy, it's great to chat to you, and um, looking forward to seeing uh, how things progress at Organon. It's uh, a really interesting company and positioning. So thanks for coming on. Thank you. Great to reconnect. Thanks for having me here. Yeah, our pleasure. Thank you, Frank, as ever. Yes, thanks for having me on. Um, Don't forget, like I said, the health issue content is out next week, including the Health Influencer 30 list. We have our 40 under 40 event Thursday evening, uh, depending on when you're listening to this. Um, It may have already happened, but uh, that's our second in-person event since post-COVID, and we're looking forward to that. The Hall of Fame will be our last big in-person event of the year. That will be on the 6th of December in New York. Really looking forward to that one. And the call for entries to our global awards will be opening up on Thursday as well. And we're looking at having the ceremony in London on the 18th of May 2022. The first time we'll have met in person for that for three years. So really yeah. uh, looking forward to it and, and uh, hope, hope we're able to deliver on those plans. Um, fingers crossed. Anyway, but that's all we've got time for. We'll see you next time on the PR Week. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the PR Week. To find more episodes, visit prweek.com.